you know, we talked about it, but this coming Wednesday, we have our uh, public hearing for our building project. Um, and it's kind of crazy because I think for a lot of us, if, if you've been here for uh, a number of years, you know that uh, our church has really been blessed by the Lord, uh, really has grown in leaps and bounds. And it's to the point where even years ago, like I would say 10, 15 years ago, we've kind of always been looking for a new space that could accommodate us a new space that would be able to fill, uh, that we'd be able to fill and that um, we would have more space to be able to do all the things that we have been wanting to do. Over the years, we've uh, met with so many architects, so many builders, so many church leaders uh, to find out about the thing that, about what to build, um, about where to expand, about how to move forward, uh, and finally, this Wednesday, uh, Fairfax County will uh, make a decision on whether or not we can move forward, right? For myself, like our, our staff, we knew about this for a little bit. And um, as I was thinking and praying about what is to come, I couldn't help but think back about all the things that God has done for our church. Uh, it's been pretty amazing. Um, I was thinking back to even the time uh, I mean, I don't, I personally don't remember this moment, but I remember my, I remember Pastor Lim talking about this, the moment Pastor Lim was called into ministry from being uh, an accountant, how he heard the words, feed my sheep. And so from that moment on, he just, his heart just grew for the church. Um, I remember the time when we were in a church that we were renting and uh, we were looking for a new building. And about 20 years ago, we came to this building and uh, we ended up buying it for a price that we couldn't afford. And yet, over the years, God has been so faithful. And he has provided again and again. And he has given us the resources through our members, through the faithful giving that you have given to be able to afford uh, and just thrive in this place. Over the past few years, we've gone to the point where a church our size shouldn't be able to do this, but we have sent out and supported over 100 missionaries all over the world. That we are sending uh, missionaries to, to plant churches, to, to plant schools, to, to plant orphanages. And, and it's been so cool to see the way that God has worked over all of these things. And so it comes to the point now where we are heading almost into a new, you could say, cornerstone moment for our church. And, and as I was praying and thinking about that, I was um, thinking about really just this one question that I think everything boils down to. And it's this question of, do I trust in God? Do I truly trust in the Lord? I have trusted the Lord from the beginning. Do I still trust him today? And church, that's the question that I want to give to you as well. Do you trust in the Lord? Do you trust that he's going to take care of you? Do you trust that even when it's not good, that he has a plan for your life? Do you trust that his ways are greater than your ways? You see, trusting in God is simply another way of, of asking yourself, do I have faith? And I'm going to tell you that as you continue to grow in your spiritual life, as you continue to grow just in your personal life, the most critical thing for you is going to be the character and the quality of your faith in God. More than any school in your resume, more than any skill in your repertoire, what you need most is faith in God. 
You know, I remember sharing this to somebody during a counseling session, and I remember their response. They said, uh, Pastor Danny, um, that's all good, and I agree with you, but how do I know if I have faith in God? I I say that I do, and, and I believe in the Lord, but what does faith in God really look like? And I have to think about that for a while, because in the Bible, there's a lot of different topics about faith. There's a lot of different discussions about faith. James says in his letter that faith without works is dead. And what he's trying to suggest is that when you have faith in God, there should be visible evidence in how you live your life and how you handle your problems. We see physical evidence of faith when Peter walks on water, but we also see how fear can overtake faith when he begins to sink. We see a woman who had been battling a sickness for decades, and yet through her faith, she simply touches the robe of Jesus and and she is healed. Jesus turns to her and says one thing, your faith has made you well. In Hebrews 11, that famous chapter on faith, it simply says in verse 1 that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Church, what does faith mean? really look like? I ask this question because I believe this passage has the answer. Because what we'll see is a man who is possibly the greatest example of faith seen in the Bible. Now, before we go into this story, I want you to realize one thing in that that in the Bible there is nothing that is done by accident. This isn't a story that is placed here accidentally. We know that Jesus meets this man at this time for a specific purpose. And the reason I say this is because remember for the past few weeks, we've been going over chapter 6. And in chapter 6, we know that that was a sermon on the plain. That was Jesus' famous sermon where he was giving all these different topics where he was trying to disciple and guide and, and do all these different things. And yet what we know is that during this sermon, his main point was this. How do you know if you're a disciple of mine? How do you know if you have faith in me? Is your faith more towards the world, or is it more based upon me? Are you a follower of the world, or are you a follower of mine? And what we see is right after Jesus preaches this sermon, we meet this man. Right after Jesus preaches this sermon, he runs into this story, into this man here. And what we have to come to realize is that this centurion is the living model of what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. What we have to come to realize is that this centurion is the living model of what true and great faith really looks like. You see, church, this story takes place in Capernaum. It's this small city that was right next to the area that Jesus had just preached in. And after Jesus finishes preaching, he's walking. And all of a sudden, as he's walking, a group of Jewish elders come to Jesus. Now, these elders weren't there to debate Jesus or to try to trap him. They were actually there at the request of a Roman centurion. Because you see, this Roman centurion had asked if Jesus could come and heal his servant. Now, for us, just a little background, we know two things about centurions. 
First is that centurion was a title given to the captain of the Roman army. Technically, they would have about 100 soldiers who would be under them, which is where we get the word century from. And the second thing that we know is that centurions, for the most part, don't get along well with Jewish people. Because what we know is that Roman soldiers and Jewish citizens don't really mix well. Roman soldiers were the ones who would tax the, the citizens. They would be the ones who would steal and cheat them out of money. They would be the ones who would command them to do things. And because there was Roman occupation in that time, there's not really much that Jewish citizens can do about it. They would just have to listen and obey. But what we see here is that this centurion was different. He wasn't like the other ones. You see, he had built the synagogue. He was someone who desired to seek after God. He was someone that the Jewish elders actually cared for. And so when, they, when he requested of them to go ask Jesus, they said yes. And not only that, they spoke so highly of him. He was different. So Jesus, he hears about the centurion, and he agrees to come and heal his servant. Now, as Jesus is coming, the centurion sends other friends with another message in verse 6 that says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. He says, look, please, don't come anymore, because I know that if you just say the word, If you just say one thing, my servant will be healed. The Bible says that Jesus turns to the crowd and says, you all hear that, huh? I have never seen such great faith in all of Israel. Church, I want you to take note that this is the sole place in Scripture that Jesus commends someone for their faith. Most of the time when Jesus is talking about someone's faith, it's actually in a critical manner. O ye of little faith. In Mark 6, it says that he marveled at people's lack of faith. But this is the only time in Scripture that Jesus looks at someone's faith and says, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want. I am pleased. I am amazed by this type of faith. And so, church, I just want to look just simply at why Jesus was so amazed at this centurion's faith. You know, in the beginning of this passage, we see that the centurion sends Jewish elders to speak to Jesus on his behalf. Now, the question that I think some of us can have here is why wouldn't the centurion just go and do it himself? If he really cared about his servant, if he really wanted this to be done, then wouldn't it make sense for him to go to Jesus personally? You see, one of the reasons we read it here is that he didn't think that he was worthy. And at the same time, what we know is that there were other people who would go before Jesus and kneel down and kiss the feet of Jesus, asking if he could do those things. So there must have been maybe another reason why the centurion didn't go before Jesus. Why would he have asked if this was so important to him? Scholars say that there is another reason why he didn't go. And it's because for him, you see, he's a Roman captain and Jesus was a Jewish citizen. The centurion understood that if he personally went before other people, society would demand 
that Jesus listened to him. You see, society would demand that Jesus listen and obey. Because everyone knew that Jesus would be able to heal. He had proven that time and time and time again. And so in that moment, the centurion knew that if he had gone before Jesus personally and asked and commanded, that Jesus would have had to listen, that there would be no opportunity to refuse. But what we see is that the centurion instead sends elders on his behalf, and that was to give Jesus the leeway and the opportunity to say no. You see, church, he sends for Jesus with the expectation that Jesus will come, but at the same time, he doesn't know what Jesus will do. He sends for Jesus with the expectation that Jesus will say yes, but he is fully prepared for him to say no. Real faith expects a yes, but at the same time, real faith can endure a no. Most of us believe that when we pray, that it should be automatically yes, that God should automatically give it to us. And we become frustrated because God doesn't do what we want him to do. And yet what we see here, what true faith is, the faith of the centurion, is that that wasn't what his thought process was. He said, God, I expect you to do this. I desire for you to do this. I hope that you do this. And yet at the same time, God, if you don't, that's okay. I trust in you. I'm giving you the opportunity to refuse because I trust in your ways that you have a reason for this as well. I'm not going to command you to do this. I'm not going to tell you to do this. I ask of this to you. And God, at the same time, if it's no, I take it as no. If it's no, then I trust you, Lord. This is the faith that we see in Daniel 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they're, sitting in front, when they're standing in front of the idol of King Nebuchadnezzar, when everyone else is bowing down before that idol, and yet those three stand, and they're about to be thrown into the fire, and they talk to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, look, I believe that God will, will do a miracle. I believe that he will show his glory. I believe that he will do something great. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I will still praise the Lord. Church, is this your story as well? Is that your faith? Can you honestly say that within your prayer requests, that within the troubles of your life, that within everything that is happening to you, that you can pray to the Lord, not command, not telling him, but requesting that God, would you do this for your glory, for my good, because I desire it, because I'm suffering, and yet at the same time, God, if it's not to come, I still trust in you. God, I give you the leeway. I give you the opportunity to say no, simply because I trust in you. Church, that is true faith. That is true faith. This is the faith of the centurion. Now, here's one more thing that we see. In verse 3, the centurion it's interesting, he asked for Jesus to come, right? But then what we see in verse 6 is that when Jesus is on his way, the centurion sends friends to tell him not to come. 
Do you guys get that? I think you all missed it. Let me say it one more time. The centurion asked for Jesus to come heal his servant. Jesus responds, says yes, and he begins to walk over. And immediately, the centurion tells Jesus to not come. One more time, okay? One more, one more time. The man has a prayer request for Jesus to show up. Jesus shows up, and the man says, don't come, don't come. Why would this man ask Jesus to come and then tell Jesus that he doesn't have to come? You see, church, maybe it's because he's telling Jesus Look, I know what I asked you to do, but you don't have to do it the way that I asked you to do it. You see, church, this man had enough faith to ask Jesus to do something, but also had enough faith to trust that Jesus can do, be- can do it better than he could ever have imagined. He asked Jesus that he could perform, if he could perform the miracle, and yet at the same time says, Jesus, I trust in your ways. I trust in the way that you desire to do it. So whether you come, whether you go, whatever you decide, I trust in the way that you plan it. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And so I will give you this prayer request. I will give you this one circumstance. And yet at the same time, Jesus, however you want to deal with it, you deal with it. I ask you to come, but you don't have to come. I ask you to go. You don't have to go. Jesus, you do it the way that you think is best. Have you ever prayed that way? God, would you do this for me? I'm struggling. I'm hurting. But I trust in whatever way you work is the best for me. Whether that means it happens or whether that means it doesn't, if you give it to me, thank you, God. If you don't, thank you, God. You know, for me, I I remember when I was in Korea, um, I came to this realization, I mean, I found out that um, getting a tailored suit is like a million times cheaper there than it is here. Uh, It was really nice. And so I remember uh, I was about to start ministry at the the church there, and uh, I didn't have like a suit, right? I mean, I had a suit, but it wasn't tailored, and I wanted a tailored one, right? Uh, so I went to the tailor there for the first time, and um, I don't know if you've ever had like anything custom made, but I didn't. I've never. And so I went there the first time, and they he opened this like book of like all of these different options, like different fabrics, different things, different buttons, different things that you could do. And my eyes like lit up. Right? I had never seen anything like that. Um, and so. You know, okay, I was young, so don't judge me, right? But I wanted uh, to get a unique suit that everyone would know that I made it. That I, it was custom made by me, right? Um, so I, I wanted. I told them, I said, I want to get different colored buttons uh, than the suit. I, I wanted um, the stitching to be uh, kind of a different design than other stitchings. I kind of like zigzag a little bit. Uh, I wanted also. Oh, this is a big one. I, I said I, I want my name to be stitched in the suit too. So people can kind of see that this isn't just like a, a brand, but this is, like, I made this, right? Um, the other thing about Korea that's different than America is that Korean people are very blunt, right? 
and so this tailor, he's, he's a lot older. He was like a, a kind of an older uh, grandfather. Uh, he looks at me and he says one thing in Korean. He says, um, I'm sorry to say this, but that's really stupid. <laughs> he says this to me. I was, I was like shocked, right? Um, he told me that he's been making suits for a very long time. <laughs> he says that's been the first time someone asked that for him. And he says, um, that's not what I should do, right? I've always been, I mean, people have always told me, hey, this is what I suggest. No one's ever straight up just told me, don't do that, right? Um, so he said, look, trust me. I've been making suits for decades. Trust me in how to make it, right? Church, we have an idea of what to do. We have an idea of how things should be done. But I guarantee you, that God has a better and bigger plan for your life than you could imagine. I, I guarantee you that if you simply trust in him, that if you put your faith in him, and that if you ask that he would guide you, that he will give you something so much greater than you could ever imagine. It's so much better than, than the thing that you, that you want, that you see in your hands. And I think you can talk to so many of our older brothers and sisters who have been praying for something for so long, and yet at the same time, they're trusting in the Lord that he will do something greater. And so even though they don't get the thing that was in front of them, God actually gave them something so much better in the long run. He's not going to give you that custom suit that you wanted with your name. Oh, that's so, I'm so thankful. Next time we go to Korea, I'm going to go see that guy. I'm going to thank him, to be honest. Because he saved me so much money. I would have had to throw that away, you know. But God has a better and bigger plan for you. So trust in him. Put your faith in him. This was the faith of the centurion. This was the faith that he had. Understanding that, God, this is what my prayer request is. And yet at the same time, Lord, you can do whatever you want with it. You can do whatever you desire with it, God, because I simply trust in you. I trust in you. See, that was the first thing. There's something else about his faith that amazed Jesus. And it was just one thing. It was that he was a humble man. He was a humble man. You see, he sends word to Jesus in verse 6. And the first thing he says is this, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. Now, why would he say that? You have to remember what was just said before. Because remember that when he first sends the Jewish elders the first thing that they say to Jesus is, Jesus, you need to do this. Why? Because he is worthy. Because the centurion, he's worthy. He deserves it. Do you see, back then in the Jewish religion, everything was merit-based. As long as you were able to do the work, as long as you were faithful, as long as you prayed, as long as you did all these different things, you deserve to, have, you deserve to go to heaven. And that was their mindset when they, came, when they came to Jesus. Jesus, you should do this thing for him. You should answer his prayer request for one reason, because he loves this nation, because he built the synagogue, because he did these things, because he's worthy, because he deserves it, you should do it. Now, I'm sure that this news came back to the centurion. And I believe that's why he sent out his friends as quickly as possible. He sends his friends and he tells Jesus, 
I want you to know that what I've done, the things that I've accomplished, the things that people say about me, none of that matters in my request to you. Me asking you for this healing has nothing to do with what I've done. I am not worthy of anything. You do as you please. You see, church, what he's doing as he is detaching his spiritual resume from his prayer request to God. I don't expect you to work something great in my life because of what I've done. I expect you to work something great in my life because of who you are. That was his wording. That was what he was saying to Jesus. I have done these things, yes. I have built the synagogue, yes. People speak well of me, yes. But that has nothing to do with what I'm doing before you now. That has nothing to do with my request before you. I believe that you can do this not because of what I've done, but simply because of who you are. Because you have power over all things. Because you have healed before, and I know you can heal again. And it's not because I deserve it. It's because, Lord, you are worth it. It's all because of you. It's not because of me. I am not worthy. Church, there are two types of people who pray. People who pray expecting God to do it because of what they've done. And people who pray expecting God to do it simply because of who he is. The centurion, man, he had had that type of faith. He knew that the minute the Jewish elders were saying that, he knew that it could be misconstrued. And so immediately he goes to Jesus And he says, no, 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 it doesn't have anything to do with what I've done. I don't deserve it. Don't look at my spiritual resume. Don't look at these things. God, I just trust that you're going to do it simply because of who you are. Church, how do you know who you are? How do you know which person you are? When you pray and the answer is no, or even worse, if the answer is wait, is your response to be frustrated because you begin to think of everything that you've done. You come to church every week. You read the Bible. You give tithes. You've been faithful. And you see that God isn't giving you as much as you're giving him. What you're doing is you're attaching your spiritual resume with your request to God. And I want you to be careful about that, church, because the problem with that is that there will be situations in your life where you are praying for things that are greater than what you deserve. What are you going to do then? You see, the difference between this centurion and so many of us today is that his faith in Jesus Christ was rooted in Jesus' character and in his power, not in his own deeds or accomplishments. That's why when we pray to the Lord, I hope and and I I ask that that the first thing that you say before any request is, God, I am not worthy. I am not worthy for this. I don't deserve this. And yet, Lord, I ask of this for you. There's nothing that I have done that allows me to say that I deserve this from you. For the centurion, he understood that Jesus Christ was God. He says in verse 7 that if Jesus simply says the word, his servant would be healed. 
my church, Jesus Christ is Lord over all. He has the power to silence the winds and the waves. He has the power to silence any situation in your life. With one word, he is able to raise the dead back to life. And he can and he will work in your life. You simply need to have faith, church. Now, where do we apply this? I want you to know that faith is not something that you can separate into different corners of your life. The Bible tells us that our faith, our spiritual life, applies to every single part of our life. And so the question is this, in what area do you struggle believing that Jesus Christ will truly take care of it? In what area of your life have you not truly allowed God to say, I I trust that you are going to do something? Now, Lord, whether or not you move today, whether or not you move tomorrow, I trust in you in this part of my life. Is Is there an area that you have not given to the Lord yet? For many of us, it can be our finances. We have a hard time giving our money to the Lord because I know it sounds so counterintuitive when we have bills to pay, when we have children to raise, when we have things to do. For others, it may be our relationships. When am I supposed to marry? Did I even marry the right person? When will my children come into faith? And for others, it could be something else entirely different, maybe your health, maybe your job, maybe your school. But in all these situations, I ask that you would have faith and that you would simply pray. There's not really any other answer that I can give. The Bible simply says, give your request before the Lord. Ask, and he will fill you. Ask that he would change your art. Ask that he would change your circumstances. But come to him with great faith, believing that in all things, God is able to work for our good and for his glory. Our Lord has the authority over life and death. Just as the centurion is able to command hundreds to do whatever he wants, Jesus has the power to do everything in our lives. So as you look in the future of your life, with everything that is to come, with your job and with your school and with your family, there's only one question that I'd like for you to ask. There's only one question that I'd like for you to meditate on. is do I trust in the Lord? Church, do you trust in God? I hope you do. Amen? Yeah, let's pray.